Hello and welcome to the Modern Musclehead Podcast. This is Scott Tuzana of MetabolicMasterpiece.com along with my co-host Brian Cron of BrianCron.com. And today I am incredibly excited for our special guest, Christian Finn of MuscleEvo.net. I have been a huge fan of Christian's work for over 10 years. He's been sharing evidence-based advice uh, long before it's ever become trendy and popular um, to share evidence-based uh, material out there. Um, it's just been, his site, MuscleEvo.net, is just an incredible wealth of information there. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, and he's got a great program, Muscle Evo as well, and Muscle Evo Pro, I believe, where um, he really dives into um, more research. And uh, it's really, it's what got me rolling here. It got me on the right track following guys like Christian and Tom Venuto, the genuine guys who really have your best interest at heart. Today we're going to be covering uh, the topics of lifestyle, dealing with social pressures and, and some binge eating. We're going to be talking about training uh, in your 40s and beyond, uh, talking a bit about frequency training, which I'm super excited about, and as well as diving into some nutrition practice such as ketogenic diets, um, fasting, all that kind of fun stuff. So that being said, Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, I've been following your work for so long and um, it's great to finally have the opportunity to chat with you and, and pick your brain a little bit more. Well, thank you very much for having me. That's a, that's a big intro. Um, I don't know if I can live up to all of uh, all of these expectations that people will have. Uh, no doubt about it. I mean, if, if just just if they go to your your blog alone and check out the type of material that you're putting out there, it's uh, it's very purposeful. Um, everything. I mean, you really you take a look at the evidence that's out there, and you really break it down into layman's terms for us and, and practical applications. And um, I love your approach as well. The um, the whole physique sculpting, body sculpting. I think we share a lot of the similar um, philosophies as well, even if some of our training is a little bit different. So I'm excited to pick your brain a bit on your training as well. Oh yeah, well certainly I've um, I've been I've been training. I think going back to the 80s now. I think I started out with um, you know one of those York barbell sets with a bench with a concrete filled. You and me both. Sounds like all of us. That's, that was our starter kit right there. <laughs> Start trading bra. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've tried so many different training systems over the years. Um, some of them with, with, with more success than others. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it's that... To me, I'm the same way. I like to. I have an open mind with things. There, there has been times where I've, I've kind of been married to, like my body part, bro splits, and because it, it was working for me, I enjoyed it. Uh, but more so now than ever, I, I have an open mind to various styles of training, and I think it's really opened the doors for um, growth and improvement. And um, I think a lot of people just really hold themselves back by not experimenting with. Uh, different protocols over the well, years. I, absolutely. I think one of the things that stands out a lot from certainly some of the research that's coming out in, or the, certainly the research that I've looked at in, in recent years, is that the, just the variety of different approaches that you can use to build muscle and get in shape. You know, I, I used to be, um, 
I used to be a fan of the sort of the one body part, part a week type routine, the you know, the bro split. And mm -hmm. I think there are instances where these things can be, you know, because it, it, it works. Um, I, I've known guys, I know a guy at the moment, he uses a, a, a one, one muscle group a week type of routine and he's, he's in incredible shape. Um, and so I think that there's so many, so many different approaches can take you to your end goal and it's, it's like you say, it's trying not to get fixated by this idea that there's, there's one way and there's only one way and, and I have to do this to the exclusion of everything else because I think if you do accept that uh, you, you can change your mind about things, that it's, it's a good idea to experiment with different approaches and be flexible. Um, I do think that that, you know, in, in the end will, um, will get you where you want to go a lot faster. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. Let's let's dive right into frequency then, since this is this is a topic that comes up. Because I, um, it really, I think it's kind of silly when we when you're talking like this and and saying basically, Brian and I have, have been saying all along that I mean everything works, and it's kind of silly to have debates out there. One one is better than the other because as we see with people taking various approaches out there, we're all getting great results from it. Yeah. Um, but lately there is, there's become more of a debate in terms of, of the frequency. There's really, it seems like the, the body part split guys are really butting heads against the, the higher frequency training. So we have, um, I think this is, sorry to say his name, I don't know if it's Galen Abraham. Sent I think in a, yeah, Galen, Galen Abraham. So he sent in a question. It would be cool to hear discussion on optimal training frequency for each muscle group, specifically what the research seems to suggest versus personal anecdotes and experience. Um, let's see. Okay, so then he wants to get into protein feedings and all that stuff too. But let's first talk about um, the frequency there. And I, I kind of, I, mean, I think it's good to still look at the personal anecdotes and experience. I think that's a part of the evidence-based approach. But there's mm -hmm. science seems to be. Um, providing us with some some interesting perspectives lately. What are, what are your thoughts? Is there an optimal training frequency, or again, is it just like everything works? <laughs> um, well, it's certainly of the research that that's been done and the research that I've seen on the subject of training frequency, and and there hasn't been a lot. Um, you'd be surprised. I think there's only a handful of studies that have actually attempted to seriously look at how training frequency affects gains in muscle size. I think the most recent one was. I think it was Brad Schoenfeld. Um, he published a study where he looked at a, th a three um, once a week versus three times a week. Right. Um, and I think in that particular study, it was the it was the guys hitting each muscle group three times a week who saw the best results. Um, and that ties in certainly with a, uh, a lot of the other research that I've seen on the subject. That I don't think I've ever seen a study where less frequency worked better than a higher frequency. Yeah. Um, it's it's rare that you you actually in fact I, I can't I can't recall any study showing a a, a higher a lower frequency working better than a higher one. Um, but when you look at the the protocols and the approaches that are used in these studies, oftentimes they're not representative of the type of training that, that somebody's doing in the gym. Um, you know, you can get guys doing 12, 16, 20 sets per muscle group um, once a week. And, and the studies that have looked at once a week training are not using that type of volume. So, you know, you might find that 
with with the with the very high training volumes, um, then then there may be a time to actually say, well, yeah, I'm going to cycle in a period of of hitting a hitting a muscle group, um, you know, once every once every seven days or once every five days or, or whatever, um, perhaps less frequently because you can't hit a muscle group that frequently if you're training it with that much volume. You, it's it's just not a good idea. Um, but certainly. I think for I think for most people most of the time I usually aim for a sweet spot of of, of twice a week. I think twice a week. Um, I think there's times if you've got say a lagging muscle group and you want to train it with more frequency. I think that's one of the best approaches. Um, the muscle there's a, a an arm specialization protocol that I bundle in with Muscle Evo and that involves working the arms. Um, directly twice a week and then indirectly twice a week with the upper body as well. So they get hit four times a week. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that, Scott, you were talking about working calves, um, bringing up a, a, a lagging muscle group, and you were working them more often. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, I think that, um, you know, that for a lot of people is, is, is an effective approach. I think wasn't, didn't Schwarzenegger, when he was working his calves, that was one of the approaches that he took. He just trained them extremely heavy every, every day or every other day. It was certainly a, a more frequent, um, a more frequent approach. Exactly. Yeah. I think that some of the arguments that uh, I've been hearing up until some of this recent research from the higher frequency training group is they're like, well, if you're going to bring up a lagging body part like your calves and you're training them more frequently, well, why doesn't that make sense to train everything more frequently rather oh. than just yeah. a lagging body part? So they were kind of using some anecdotal evidence there. Well, I mean, the argument makes sense to an extent, but I think the problem is if, if you're training, you know, you can train calves because they're, they're a small muscle group. They right. don't, it doesn't yep. really take a lot of energy. It doesn't take a lot out of you. You know, mm -hmm. but if you're training legs and back, um, you know that. Or if you're training everything that frequently, then it, it does take it out of you, and it does exert more of a of a of a toll on on, on your body. So recovery then becomes uh, more of an issue. So um, certainly, I think that more frequency can can work with with the smaller muscle groups, and and to an extent, I think it, if you as long as you're not doing a huge volume, you can do. Um, more frequency for everything, right. but I think that you it, you need to be careful with not overdoing it on the volume as well. I think your programs are certainly the ones that I looked at. You, you were doing a relatively low volume of training, but you were just doing it more often. Yes, and then you might, you might take the same, you know, you might take the same amount of weekly work, but just split it into four or five workouts rather than doing it all in in one single session. Exactly. Exactly. It's really it becomes a delicate balance uh, balancing act to manage that volume with the frequency. The more frequently you're training each muscle group, you have to kind of dial down the volume with each workout. But really, looking at total volume at the end of the week, I think that's been one of the interesting lessons that I've learned this past year is that whenever I thought of high volume training, I always thought of that body part split where guys are just crushing one body part once a week and it needs the full time to recover. But then when I really looked at splitting up my workouts and, and training them a little bit more frequently, I realized that hey, if I'm training each body part three to five times a week, I can still get that same kind of volume and even sometimes yeah. more volume at the end of the week when I'm training it more 
frequently. So exactly. Yeah. But a lot, a lot of it's managing that fatigue and, and a lot of it has come down lately to the, the auto regulation, like training. I just started a, a, f- a new five day plan this week where I'm hitting every body part five days a week. And, um, the second day I, I had to just kind of dial down the intensity of the work. I don't want to be, you don't want to be in there crushing it every single day, just trying to stimulate the muscles, um, stimulate that muscle protein synthesis, uh, each day rather than just crushing it like you would a, yeah. a body part split routine. Yeah, exactly. I know that that's approach that, um, I, I heard this interview that you were, that you did with, with Borg, um, Borg of Fagley, I yes. think, think it is. And he's, he's, um, written some great articles on the subject of, of more frequent training, um, and, and cycling your intensity, um, or you know, cycling the amount of weight that you're lifting from workout to workout, not trying to do it heavy all of the time, right. um, and also auto-regulating your approach. So you'd, you'd tweak your workout based on on how you're performing on that particular day. And there's there's times when I mean, you know, you you know as well as anyone, there's times you go into the gym and you you, you just you feel amazing. You feel like you can. You know, you do anything. You're strong, and you want to go for it. But there's also other times when you go in and and you're just everything feels flat. You can't get a pump. You're tired, um, and you you know you, you're nowhere near as strong as you were the, the the last time. So I certainly think that an auto-regulated approach, um, as long as you know how to apply it, is it works very well. Exactly. And I say. Uh, Based on the research that I've seen out there, your suggestion of two times a week does seem to be optimal. I see like two to three times a week. Uh, actually, yeah. anywhere from like Lyle McDonald really likes that anywhere from once every five days to two weeks, his athletes tend to perform better. But two to three times seems to be that sweet spot. And every once in a while, you throw in some of the, the other range where you do once a week type thing and then maybe four or five times a week, uh, depending on. Uh, what your goals are there. But I think mixing, I think frequency is one of those uh, variables that people don't manipulate. They don't, they usually get stuck in their own little habits and routines and uh, don't vary it enough. And and I think it's, I think it's one of those variables that can have a a great impact if you cycle it properly with, uh, with someone, with each other. I certainly think, I think frequency is probably one of the most, um, one of the most, if not the most important variable when it comes to um, when yeah. it comes to building muscle. I think it's it is it is key. I think the thing is that it's it's important to to balance it out with with volume because as as frequency goes up, the, the volume of each session has to has to come down. Um, obviously, the volume over the course of a week might be the same, but certainly it's you can't combine high volume workouts with a high frequency. Right. Um, at the same time right and as you mentioned earlier like probably the the once every seven days is probably the the least effective of of all the routines but it's probably still has its place in there in terms of creating that muscle damage i think i saw greg knuckles right wrote a post recently talking about those benefits every once in a while just the benefits of the muscle damage from a, a really high volume program and the impact that it has on satellite cells and and getting them to i think it's the term is myoblast where it will fuse to um yeah damage muscle fiber very interesting research on on satellite cells and muscle damage and 
Um, and I think I, I know the article that you mean. Greg did a, a good job of, of of tying all that research together. But certainly, that's the thing with more frequent training: is that you can't create that muscle. Damage. You need to be back in the gym the next day. Right. You can't necessarily have that amount of muscle damage. Um, so I, I certainly think there's a time and a place for cycling training. We might train in the muscle group. Say once every five days, and, and really blasting it, and then you, you you do that for for eight weeks or twelve weeks or whatever, and then you you go to a, perhaps a, a slightly higher frequency, so you're, you're hitting a muscle group twice a week, three times a week, and then go to a super high frequency phase where you're, you're working each muscle group maybe four or five times a week. Right. Um, it's it's certainly a variable that you can uh, manipulate um, over time. Exactly. Love it, love it. Sure, definitely share the, the same philosophies there. Let's get into some of the lifestyle questions. I think it's very timely, especially with myself. Uh, since uh, since Brian came here and visited me uh, about two months ago, and uh, after well, while he was here, we got into some eating and drinking, and that kind of set the tone for my summer. And I've been enjoying the summer with uh, friends and family, a little being a little more social than normal. And uh, so we have Rob who sent in a question. Can you describe your best ways to deal with other people, like not losing your social life because you can barely do anything that involves foods and drinks while counting calories and macros? So do you have any tips for, for managing your social life and not, um, not blowing your diet? <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's a tricky one, isn't it? it um, is. As I think, um, I think the key thing is is – there's going to be times um, when you have to, when you just have to accept that you can't be 100% strict of your diet or even 90% strict with it. It's so, sometimes it's a good idea to just say, well, I'm going to go out tonight and I'm going to eat whatever I like. Um, certainly if you're, I think there's there's some benefits to it. If you've been on a diet for any length of time um, and, and, and you're, I mean, just let's say you've been on a, on a low-carb diet, there's times I've been, not on a very low carb diet, but low carb ish. I've gone out, I've had a big meal, um, and I've just felt so much better the next day in the gym. I've had so much more energy. Um, it's so much easier to get a pump. You just feel more alert mentally and physically. Um, so I, I, I think in in some cases it can actually be beneficial to have some some high carbs. Um, you can, you know, if you know that you've got a big social event in the evening, you can save up some of your calories from earlier. So, if, if for example, if I know that I'm going out for a meal later in the day, I might just have, you know, I'll just eat less in the day and know that I can have a bit more in the evening. Um, when it comes to alcohol, if it's al an alcoholic drink, um, I'll sometimes I'll alternate. So I'll have a um, an alcoholic drink, then I'll have a glass of water. Then I'll have a, a, a drink, then another glass of water, because you don't want to be the the sort of the the unsociable um, outcast who just sits there drinking water. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not um, it's not ideal. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's just accepting that there are going to be times when you, you're not going to be able to control everything. You're not going to be able to. Um, count your calories exactly, um, 
and and just and just go with it because I think I I mean who wants to live a life where you can't eat some of the foods that you enjoy? Um, I certainly wouldn't want to. I think food is one of the things that makes life enjoyable, and, and the idea of of restricting restricting yourself all the time. Um, no, I, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't like that at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why the the flexible approach um, to dieting is becoming more and more acceptable, and um, people are recognizing that they can still enjoy um, many of their favorite foods and and the odd drink here and there, um, and and not feel like they've blown their diet. They can do it guilt free, knowing that in the big picture they're still um, they're still creating a caloric deficit and they're still putting in the work and effort in order to achieve the results. And I, I follow very similar strategies to yourself there, especially every other weekend, every other Friday, I get together with the guys. Brian's experienced this with me when he was down here where we just, we, we play darts and we, we drink, we let loose and we, we eat a bunch of food and I plan for that. So I, I do tend to eat a little less during the day, but I also plan for that to be like a refeed day. I'm not trying to stay at, in a, in a deficit that day. I'm um, I, that's my day to kind of let loose and I, I do end up feeling much better the day after. And I, I do like your approach with the alternating, the drinks and the water, both my workout partner and I, uh, we do, uh, we follow that, that same strategy and, uh, we end up feeling the better, better the next day as well, <laughs> not, uh, not hurting so much. But I think yeah, just the I problem just... comes when it's, when your social life is, uh, every night <laughs> you're trying to do yeah. that's it's very difficult isn't it some people have got that type of social life and they're out every night and it's it, i mean how realistic is it to be able to um to stick to a to stick to a diet when you've got to go out every every night perhaps as part of your job or something it, right. it, it is very difficult i think you have to be very disciplined um which is is a lot easier said than done no doubt yeah no doubt about it and then so we're talking about these refeeds, maybe like once a week or twice a yeah. week. Um, how about, we had a question from Dale, um, since it's the holiday time here in summers and just like me, we're having uh, lots of parties and stuff. So uh, he's wondering how much damage can you do in a two week holiday eating and drinking with total disregard for calories? Um, so for example, he's wondering, like he's lost over a stone in the last three months. So What's that, about 15 pounds? Yeah, so yeah, 14, 14 pounds in, okay. in a stone. That's, that's excellent. And uh, so he's wondering if he could put that back on in two week in a two-week binge. And he, he's begging for us to say, no, it's not possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but please say no. Um, I, I was listening to one of your podcasts from, a, I don't, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but I think Brian was, he didn't, didn't you go to Mexico, Brian, and you ended up eating a bunch of, a bunch of a few days or a week or I can't remember yeah, that, what. Yeah, that was that was carnage. I, well, to be honest, I, I I drank so much over those days that uh, I, it's it's all a blur how much I ate and drank. But, <laughs> um, but it was the right amount of time. It was only about three or four days. Jeez, I, I don't even remember that now. Um, it was, certainly was less than a week. So I pretty much um, it didn't do a lot of damage per se. I mean, I bounced off the water. You know, within the week afterwards. So, um, so did, I think. How much did you gain any any weight, or was it, or any fat, or was it all pretty much gone within well, a, a few days? Well, there's another compounding factor too. Is I was really lean uh, leading up to that, and, and really depleted. So I was kind of in that uh, that post diet honeymoon, 
so um, you know a lot of it I kind of filled out a lot from it um, certainly like if I did that right now went on a on a three or four day bender I would probably gain a lot more fat because um, I'm just not not as lean as I was then um, but to, to answer your question I probably gained about you know five or six pounds and, and took off basically all of it within within a few days of getting back into my routine okay so and, yeah. and probably like a, a fair chunk of that you're looking at like water muscle glycogen and even food weight itself i mean if you're going from cutting to all of a sudden now you're eating in a slight surplus that that volume of food that's sitting in your stomach is gonna add to a bit of weight as well mm-hmm. oh for sure well, for sure yeah i i think it's it i suppose it depends the answer to the question depends a lot on 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 what what dale means by a total disregard to calories um i remember a time i was we're going back about 15 years and I'd um I'd 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 done one of the, the body for life contest and this was it was the first time that it was held in in the UK it was um and I'd I think I hadn't I didn't win the thing but I I got one of these sort of awards for you know well, we you didn't you weren't good enough to win it but we thought you'd get you get some kind of award um so I was I was fairly I was pretty lean and I stayed I stayed lean um, for quite a while actually. But I at the time I moved I moved house I moved away. It must have been about 100 150 miles away from home. Started a completely new job which I I hated. And the girl that I was seeing at the time um, dumped me. Um, and I was I was just I was in bits about about this. And um, I ended up eating. Just masses of food every night. I mean, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, the whole tub. Every time I filled up my car with uh, with with, um, with fuel, I'd I'd buy a bunch of cakes and biscuits from the uh, <laughs> from the shop, and then just sit and eat them in the car while I was driving. By the time I got home, they'd be gone. And I, I, in this time, I keep it. I was still I was still training. Um, six days a week, um, lifting weights, doing cardio, and I put on. I gained stone within a month. Oh wow! That yeah. was the amount of food that I was I was eating, um, yeah. and that was with training, and that was only eating junk. It sort of in the you know in the day I was I was I was I was quite strict. I was careful. I, but as soon as I got home, just this horrible empty feeling in my stomach. I just ate and ate and ate. So, you know, it, it's, it's technically it, it is it is p- possible within two weeks. Total disregard to calories, you can put on those. Yeah. Um, that 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 you can gain that weight back quite easily. Um, but it, you know, if, if if you are applying some discipline and and some, you know, some some rules to what you're eating, then um, it, it you know you, you can you can keep most of it off. You're going to gain some back, but um, yeah, you, yeah. You, you can't just completely disregard it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of it comes down to. I mean, I think in most cases, even when you're on holiday, it's not going to be wake up and right away you're ready for to eat a whole box of pop tarts and um, <laughs> just completely change your diet and and fill your face with with junk. There's you're probably still going to have some habits. Um, some of the meals will be the same. Um, 
and, and so just, just kind of plan, even though you're not going to be tracking calories, if you kind of still fall into some of the same habits that you have and allow yourself for, for treats and different meals. And I think that's, yeah. uh, you, you're going to keep most of the fat at, uh, at bay and a two week break is nice. It could be a really good thing for you as well and come back, come back better and stronger. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I always take an ebb and I call it an ebb and flow approach to all this. I mean, if you've dieted really strictly for an extended period of time, uh, I think you kind of owe it to yourself not to get fat and binge on a bunch of junk, but just to kind of step back from being so intense and just kind of let you know, you know, live a little, not by eating everything in sight, but just by thinking about other things and obsessing about other things and just bringing some balance mentally back into your life. Um, I know I just find that it's it's kind of therapeutic and then you go back to your kind of your much stricter whatever lifestyle and it's it's you have a little bit more juice and a little bit more you know fire um yeah that's that's i mean that seems to be as i've gotten older and a little better at this i i i I find that helps a lot it's just you know having taking a little breaks and not being as obsessed about stuff and just not even thinking about food just eating more intuitively um yeah, and it's kind of it kind of mitigates this whole all or nothing thing that people sometimes will fall into. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what the thing. works for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go on. No, that's all right. I, I was good. I was going to move on. Do you have some some finishing thoughts on that? I know, just uh, just following up from um, from Brian's point about this all or nothing approach. I think a lot of people they they do take it's, it's either everything or nothing, and and. Mm-hmm. Brian said it's 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 getting it's getting the right balance. It's this ebb and flow approach and, and understanding that you can't be um, you know you can't be perfect with your diet all of the time. And that, that for your own sanity, I think you have to you have to take take a take a break from it. Just just pull over, give yourself a a, a week or two of just not going crazy, but just eating a few more of the things that you enjoy right yeah yeah i think that that, and that's an important message to get out there um that even us uh physique coaches and athletes um we're we're not perfect all the time and yesterday i shared in my one of my facebook groups that uh for the past eight weeks that i i have let loose and i've gained eight pounds during that eight weeks um and it was good like some of the people were like saying oh here i was Wondering all the time, like how how do all these fitness professionals, uh, how do they stay spot on all the time? Like, well, we don't. <laughs> yeah. we, they don't. They're probably worse than uh, worse than everyone else because that's the thing with 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 social media. Everyone only puts on the good things, uh, you know, and all the all the times that they're sticking to the diet and all the nice meals. You don't hear about all the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Exactly. It's all just. It's all very nice and designed to create this impression of, of, of that somebody's perfect almost and um, you know we all know the reality is that, uh, that they're not oh no <laughs> <laughs> all right let's uh, let's move on to the aging physique artist physique athlete I'll be 40 uh, I'm turning 40 in the next eight weeks Christian's 41 Brian's 42. And uh, so we're starting to, we're on this, this edge. We're starting to experience what it's like life after 40 and training after 40. So we got Marcus here who asks, does a man in his 40s need to work out differently to a man in his 20s or 30s in order to stay in good shape? And if so, how? 
Okay, so um, training in your 40s versus training in your 20s. Um, I mean, I, I, don't think that, I don't think you need to change everything. Um, I certainly think that you need to be mindful of a few things. But I think there was a guy who um, he wrote to me and, and he said, well, I'm, I'm 40 now. Should I just forget about lifting weights and do um, calisthenics instead? Oh. You know, holy shit! And so, I certainly, I don't think you need to go. Um, I didn't. You need to go that far. Um, so, I think, I think the routines that you follow can be, you know, can be broadly the same. I don't mean that you need to, to change everything, but I think the margin for error uh, is a, is a lot smaller. So, for example, when you when you're in your twenties and you you know if you're on the bench press, for example, and you feel a, perhaps a little niggle in your shoulder, um, you'll just carry on, and perhaps that niggle will be gone the next time you you're working your chest. You know, if you're in your late thirties and forties and fifties, I, I think you have to be a lot more mindful. And if you do start getting those niggles, then pay attention to them earlier. Um, because they can, the small niggles can eventually turn into um, turn into a, a big injury, that, and, and those injuries take a lot longer to recover than when you're in your twenties. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, Bray. Yeah. I was, yeah. I think that's like when I was younger, I was much more of a slave to a program. I thought you know I'm supposed to do bench press on this day, and if, if something doesn't feel right or, or whatever, that's just my problem. I'll I'll, I'll fight through it. And, you know, now 20 years later, I, I make a lot more like calls on the fly. Like if something just doesn't feel, you know, whether I feel tight or, or just, you know, those warning signs it's that it's, it, you know, that you're just not in the zone with a particular exercise. I'll just make a game time decision and I'll do something else. And that's that seems to have kept me a lot healthier in the last few years. Yeah, I think just being being flexible with your um, with your choice of exercises Um certainly yeah. the choice of exercises weight reps you know if you're not feeling like you want to lift heavy well then then just lift light instead if you're doing a bench press and you, you feel your shoulders aren't aren't right then switch over to dumbbells or, or a machine or just something else uh that doesn't cause you the same the same sorts of problems um because i i had um, and funnily enough this wasn't actually caused by lifting weights but i took up tennis about two years ago i thought um It'd be quite good fun to to start to learn to play tennis, mm-hmm. and I, I ended up with um, I got terrible tennis elbow in in both arms, um, oh. <laughs> so I couldn't. You know, I couldn't <laughs> yeah, I didn't do deadlift. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't curl. I, any, anything just was 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 painful. I got tendinosis in both um, my Achilles. So again, even walking, every time I was walking a dog in the morning, every step would be like this burning <laughs> sensation. Oh, no. In my, uh, it was, I, you'd, you'd sort of hobble down the stairs in the morning feeling like an old man. And I, I did think for a time, I thought, this, this is it. I've had it. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> I basically screwed um, my joints and that. And it, it was about 18 months it took me to, um, to recover from that. Um, Connective tissue is is just um, it turns connective tissue turns over very slowly, so that the the damaged cells take a long time to um, to recover. Hmm. And um, 
I think the, the the thing that got me back was actually was funny enough was was lifting weights because I'd I tried everything else I tried all the all the I had stretching routines they didn't do anything um, and eventually I just got to a point where I just thought to hell with it I'm just going to mm. go back to the gym and just if it hurts then so what I I'm just going to train through it and then over time the pain just uh, it just went away. Um, I don't know if it would have gone away by itself anyway, but certainly that sort of when you hit that kind of sod it moment, I'm just going to go and train train through it. Um, that was what um, seemed to help. Hmm. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't want to go through all that again. <laughs> no kidding. 18 months w- w- with, with you know, pain in your elbows, pain in your ankles, it's, it's, uh, it's no fun. Yeah, I think... Uh... I've been fortunate enough to not have to deal with any pain in the gym for for a while. I experienced it a few times in my 20s just being, I think, stupid. I think that's the one thing that's different in my training now than it was was in my 20s is that I was very ego-driven back then. So it was just I really cared what people saw I was lifting. I'd just throw on slabs of weight without any care for my form or technique i would just lift it by any means necessary Uh, but my programming is very much the same now as it was back then Uh, i think the the one thing that i've changed lately is is a bigger portion i'm spending like the 6 to 12 rep range um, just a little bit of the heavier lifting like the 3 to 5 rep range Uh, but i'm using a lot more techniques that allow for the use of a, a lighter weight, but still cause a great deal of metabolic damage and stress, like the myo reps, uh, 100 rep sets, eight sets of eight, um, different techniques where I can use a little bit lighter load that's easier on the, the joints and the tendons, yet um, still is, a, is enough of a load that uh, that will cause that, that metabolic damage and, and stress there. And that, that seems to be... Um, keeping keeping things pretty healthy and, and pain free, uh, I do pay attention to to rest and recovery as well, which I think is is pretty important. But also technique, like uh, like I said, my, now I check my ego at the door, and I'm very conscious of feeling the tension exactly where I I want to feel it. Instead of trying to progress by loading more weight on the bar, I'm always trying to improve. The quality of every rep and and really feeling the tension and the contraction. Yeah, I think that's that's key, isn't it? Just with with some exercises, it, it is just a case of slowing it right down, and like you say, focusing on just thinking about the muscle that you're working because you can lift. A, I've seen guys that, are, that you can curl huge weights, but they're just throwing it up and dropping it back down again. You you can actually you can make a, a you know a twenty pound bar deliver the same results as a, as a far heavier bar as as long as you're you're doing the exercise slowly and with this with the intent of of contracting the muscle and and lifting it slowly and lowering it slowly exactly yeah i find it even more therapeutic i i kind of get a lot more out of my training session because i am more in tune with my body because i'm slowing down the movement we're talking just a little bit instead of just the explosive movements up and down and, and using some momentum stuff and just slowing it down so I'm feeling like a, a good 
three-second eccentric contraction, so lowering it down nice and slowly, and then squeezing on the way up, maybe taking two seconds on the way up sometimes. And uh, it just gives me that opportunity to kind of get playful with my grip and positioning, just trying subtle little things that allow me to kind of steer that tension, that neural drive to even certain aspects of a muscle. So I find mm. it, it's very therapeutic and it allows me to be even more playful during my workout with different grips and forces and intentions uh, while I'm training. And it keeps me healthy at the same time. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes um, that makes lifting weights so enjoyable. And it's is, is this fact that you can, you, you can take an exercise that you've done for years and, and just... And, and just tweak sometimes where you place your hands or where you, the angle that you're lifting. And you, you can feel the exercise in it. It, it feels like a completely different exercise. Um, and like you say, it is, I think it is therapeutic. I think you, you, you're, because you can't at that time think about anything else. You're, it's almost like a meditation. You're there. You're completely focused on the muscle that you're training. But no other thoughts are, are floating into your head. Um, it is. It, I think it is one of the benefits of of, of strength training or resistance training that isn't um, that isn't talked about a lot. Exactly, I agree, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And uh, here we have Chris kind of talking about the same thing. He was he was asking about injuries and should he train the same as the younger guys. Uh, but he's also asking. Uh, he's fifty seven years old, so he'd like us to talk about what's possible for those of us who are 50s, in their 50s, or even older. Um, what kind of experience do you have with, uh, with men? Um, I, I mean, guys in their 50s and 60s, I, obviously the, the gains, um, I think, obviously are going to come more slowly. Um, yeah. I've not worked with a huge amount of, of people in that age group, um, but, but I still think that, certainly from the research that I've looked at, there is there is still scope for uh, for improvement, and even if you know, even if you don't feel like you can improve um, in terms of the the weight you're lifting um, or the number of reps you're doing, you can still you can still focus on doing an exercise better. You can still focus on the quality of of a particular exercise. So again, by slowing it down, thinking about focusing on the muscle that you're working trying different exercises that you, you haven't tried before. I think no matter where you are, there's always another mountain to climb. There's always something else that you can focus on, but it might, it might just have to be different from the things that you focused on in, in the past. You, know, you might not be able to, to lift the same weights that you were in your, in your 20s and 30s, but you can still focus on some aspect of your training and and make it better. I still, I think, no matter what age you are, um, that's that's always that's always an option. Definitely, mm-hmm. I've got uh, my workout partner who is 52 years old. We've been training together for four years, and he was always like I was in my 20s, always loading a ton of weight on the bar, always lifting the heavy stuff, and uh, always getting injured. And when we started training together, and, and he started utilizing a lot of the protocols that I've been using and going a little bit lighter, really focusing on that control and feeling the movement. Uh, he's made incredible progress. Uh, I'd say in terms of muscle gain during the past four years, so his late forties, early fifties, he's probably put on about six pounds of muscle, which with 30 plus years of, of training under his belt, 
That's that, pretty good. It's really good. But more than anything, it's uh, it's the detail. Like he's really uh, he's really shaped his physique, and the details have really come out. That muscle maturity has really come a long way, and he's he's shredded. He's crazy freaking shredded, and maintains a pretty shredded physique uh, year round. And this is a guy who so right now he's five ten. Uh, he weighs about 167 pounds. He spent most of his life weighing 215, so he's about 50 pounds lighter than he's been wow. most of his life. And so he he dropped a lot of weight preparing for his 50th birthday. He's been able to maintain low body fat percentage and, and still gain some uh, some reasonable size. And now he's a lot more pain free than he's ever been before, just because. We're following similar splits and stuff. It's just the type of training protocol and just the more mindfulness of the training. And uh, he always used to be very protective of his back, especially with squats. He never deadlifted before. And once we started introducing deadlifts to his routine, it actually improved the strength in his lower back uh, and gave him the confidence on his squat and really working through the full range of motion there. So it's it's been pretty fun looking back on the videos that I've recorded over the past four years of our training together and seeing how his range of motion has improved over the years. And at first it was checking his ego at the door, going a little lighter, working on his range and form and building that confidence um, to not tense up and protect his back uh, during a lift to really, really uh, allow the right muscles to be doing the work throughout the movement. So it's, it's been fun to train with him and, and see that, yeah, you can still progress, um, in your fifties and, and have a lot of fun and stay pain free. Uh, yeah, there's there's hope there's hope for yet. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. And now we have uh Paul, Paul Allen Clifford who asked, What exercises would you recommend to a 40, 40 plus year old ectomorph who can drop weight but never seems to get definition and who can gain weight but seems to get more fat than muscle when he does. And this this kind of resonates with me a little bit, um, not so much in the in the sense of uh, dropping weight. When I drop weight, I can easily see the definition. But uh, for me, muscle building has to be a, a bit of a slower process. I really got to keep that fat at bay because it does seem to be um, very easy for me to, to put fat on more than it is uh, muscle. So I'd, I'd really be curious to hear your insights on this, Christian. Um, well, I, I think there's a there's a huge um, there's there's a huge genetic um, variation. I think um, where I, I think Lyle McDonald talked about something called the P ratio, which is short for the partitioning ratio, basically which refers to the amount of muscle that you gain when you overfeed, or, or rather than muscle, lean body mass that you gain when you go on a uh, when you overfeed, and the the amount of lean body mass that you lose when you go on a diet, um, basically the, the, there's a huge genetic variation. I think there was a study I was looking at the other day, um, and there was one guy that was overfed. And they sh- n- normally in a study they'll just show the average results; they won't show you the results for each individual. But in this one they did, and this guy, I think, uh, of, I think they gained they they gained five or six kilos. And one of these guys, almost all of it was in the form of lean body mass. It was a tiny amount of fat, whereas one other guy on the other end of the spectrum, it was almost all fat. It was hardly any lean body mass at all. Um, so some guys have, have just, there's a genetic predisposition mm-hmm. 
to be able to gain muscle and there's not a lot that you can do about that. There's a, um, a guy at the gym I train at and he's, I think he's in his early 20s. Um, he's, he's on, he gets through about 6,000 calories a day. Um, wow. He's been training a few, a few years. I think he, he was 6'2", um, 220 pounds. He did a photo shoot um, recently and his, his preparation for the photo shoot involved three days of dieting and that was it he's he's got a six pack you know year round he could step on the on on the um on the cover of a magazine tomorrow and not look out of place um and he's not um you know he's not on the source he's 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 clean um and it he, he's it's just he just it's it's just the way he's he's built i'm not saying that he hasn't had to work very hard he doesn't have to, he has to be still very strict with his diet but he just has the genes that allow him to gain muscle very quickly. And when he overfeeds, he, a lot of it is he, he gains a lot of muscle. Um, so for people who don't have the genetics, I think the key thing when you're trying to build muscle is to not let your calorie surplus be too large. So um, you know, if, if you've been training for a few years and, and – you're only gaining perhaps five, six pounds of muscle in a, in a year. There's no point taking in a calorie surplus that's designed to support a rate of muscle gain of, of two or three pounds of, of muscle a month. Which, mm-hmm. you know, some guys when they're just when you're just starting out training, you you can gain that much muscle. Um, so it's a case of being sensible and not going on one of these sort of five thousand calorie a day bulking diets where you're just Eating everything inside. Um, I think there's a there's a um, there's a time and a place for, for for cycling your calories. So if you're um, you can either cycle your calories through the week, so you might have you might aim for for maintenance calories on some days and a slight surplus on others, or you can take a, a longer term approach and say, right, I'm I'm going to spend say three weeks in a in a, in a small surplus or, or perhaps a moderate surplus and then in, in week four I'm, I'm going to put myself in a deficit and just aim to get rid of any, any fat that I've gained over the, over the, the previous three weeks. Uh, um, uh-huh. so you're, you're kind of cleaning up any, um, any extra fat that's been gained over that time because sometimes it's, it's difficult to predict exactly how many calories that you're going to need. Right to gain a, a particular amount of muscle and so sometimes it's easy to just say right I'm, I'm going to eat a small surplus for the next three weeks and then for a week I'm just going to uh, cut back on the calories aim to drop a pound or so of fat and then go for it again so you're, you're, you're kind of taking this stepwise approach to, um, to gaining muscle um, sorry go on I, I, I like that approach especially for a seasoned lifter um, who, who is going to be a slow and steady process there. And, um, it just keeps it, it keeps the fat in check and gives you like most of the year you're still spending in a in a surplus with uh, while well, just keeping in check with small little deficits here and there to get rid of that keep that fat at bay and kind of maintain that nice lean healthy looking physique all year long. Well, that's the thing because I what you don't want to do is get to the get to the point where you're where you're gaining, certainly you don't want to gain more fat than muscle. And I think as well, if, if the reason you're training is because you want to look good, then 
I, you know, a lot of guys, and I fell into this trap as well for a time. Is that I spent a, a lot, a long time. I was just, I was just too fat. Mm, I yeah. just, you know, in, but in my head, I thought, oh, I've only got a few pounds to lose. Um, but then when you, when it actually comes down to getting rid of it, you realise that there's actually a lot more fat there than you think, and it's going to take a lot longer to get rid of it. So rather than, you know rather than spending months getting rid of the fat, I think it makes a lot more sense just not gaining it in the first place. Um, so I, I think the key thing for, uh, for, for Paul would be to just keep focus on keeping the size of the surplus under control. Don't go on one of these crazy uh, diets where you're, where you're just eating vast amounts of food because if you can't build muscle that quickly, then there's no point in, in, in taking in that amount of food. Right. And it's pretty interesting, the question of you can lose weight but still not see definition. Maybe it's uh, it's tough to say without seeing photos of, of him or seeing where he's at, knowing his stats or anything. Um, it may just be that he's maybe he's dieting too strictly and yeah. losing some muscle mass in the process. Uh, maybe he just hasn't gotten dieted down far enough in order to see the details and then slips up again. Um, or maybe just doesn't have enough muscle mass under there supporting them. I know some guys who they diet down and they get really lean, but they don't, they're not happy with their abs yet. They can still hardly see them. And a lot of it is they just don't have the bulk, the muscle there to really look like a nice, a nice detailed six pack. So I think there's a few factors that come in play there. But the first thing that comes to me is that when he's dieting down, he's probably dieting too aggressively. And Maybe losing some muscle mass in the process. Yeah, well, I think certainly he, he he needs to make sure that he's got that the muscle there in the first place. Mm -hmm. because he, yes, <laughs> unless the muscle is actually there, then when you diet down, then there's nothing to show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> True. Yeah, that, I, I've that, definitely that's... seen a lot of guys in that situation for sure. Yeah, speaking my language there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get into some more nutrition here since we're on the topic. Uh, we got Nicholas who asks us: Does a low? Well, he's got a pretty lengthy question here. Does a low carb diet help with fat loss? Can you build muscle in a ketogenic state? Uh, and here's here's some reasoning behind. It. He said the actual reason for wanting to avoid carbs is that they seem to make him drowsy in the afternoon when he needs to be alert, and avoiding carbs seems to stop him from falling asleep in the afternoon. But it also seems to have quite an impact in the gym. So he, if he's avoiding carbs, it keeps him awake during the day. But when he goes to work out, he can only do he lift do fewer reps, lift lighter weight. Um, so he's wondering if his body could get used to being ketogenic and learn to develop the same power in the gym as on carbs. Um, a possible solution to all this may be to eat carbs in the evening when being drowsy is not a bad thing. So I got some insights on this, and but curious to see what, what your thoughts are on this, Christian. I would, the, the, the key to, I think, well, I mean, first of all, the first thing he was asking was, does a low-carb diet help with, with fat loss? I think it, it, it can help with fat loss. And if, if we're looking at ketogenic diets, they do have, they do have benefits in that, I mean, number one, you, you've got a... a Automatically, a lot of your food choices are taken away, so there's there's less thought that you need to apply. So for somebody that's not particularly interested in in the, the specifics of looking at macros, if you just have well, don't have carbs, then that's a very simple 
uh, and straightforward approach to somebody that's not really too clued up on nutrition. Um, uh, as well, being in a, in a ketogenic state, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an appetite effect. It tends to suppress your appetite so you're not as hungry. Um, in terms of in terms of building muscle in a in a ketogenic state, I think that it's it's, it's difficult. It can be done, um, but it's 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 hard to, to train with with any degree of in, with intensity in the gym because you feel like crap. Um, it's you don't want to eat so much because you, you you're, you're not um, you're not hungry, which is what they work well for fat loss. Um, so. I, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of ketogenic diets. I think a, a, a low, a lower sort of moderate carb approach um, works fine. You know, if you cut carbs a little, it doesn't doesn't mean you have to cut them out completely. Um, I know when I've been um, focused on fat loss, I'll be. I mean, I weigh about 100, 175, 180 pounds, so I'll, I'll take in perhaps 150, 200, 200 grams of carbs a day if I'm trying to drop the fat, which is a long way away from being in a, in a ketogenic state. Right. And I've, I've tried to go lower, even if I tried to go through this kind of adaptation phase that everybody talks about, you need to, you need to go adapt to it, and then you come out and you feel amazing and everything's great. Um, <laughs> just, it just didn't happen. Um, so it certainly... I, I, I don't see it. I, and certainly the, re, the research that's been done where, where they've compared uh, low-carb diets, not ketogenic diets, but low-carb diets, and they've compared them with ketogenic diets, the ketogenic diets don't offer any, any fat loss advantage anyway. You know, if you cut carbs, if, you, if you've got someone on, say, 60% carbs, and you say, right, I'm going to cut you back down to, to 30% carbs, and then you compare that to someone on a, on a ketogenic diet with a down to, I know, 5 or 10% carbs, there's no, not really any any difference in the rate of fat loss, so I, I, I don't yeah I don't see any real advantages to um, to ketosis. It's not um, it it seems to be perennially popular and new names for it always seem to pop up um, over the years. And I think it does have you know I mean if somebody if somebody likes it and they get on with it and they feel good with it then. Then fine, but I I think for for a lot of people it's it's not it's not optimal. Certainly not when you're combining it with the type of training. You know, I see guys and they're trying to combine a ketogenic diet with CrossFit, and I think that's 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 not a good idea. <laughs> right. I, think, no. I mean, all, all you know, fair play to them for, for having a go, but how they get through those workouts, I have no idea. <laughs> It, uh, how about this whole sleepiness thing and, and carbs? This is something I often wonder because I've heard a, a couple coaches talking about this, that we, we shouldn't be having carbs for breakfast. You shouldn't have carbs pre-workout because it's going to make you sleepy during your workout. You're going to crash and all that stuff. Uh, I I just don't uh, I don't get that. I, I don't get that at all. I mean, I, could have, I have carbs for breakfast. I have carbs pre-workout. Um, to me, it's not all that different. And and if here, here he is saying he's sleepy during the afternoon, yet he doesn't have the energy to to perform in the gym. To me, it's say without the carbs. I just I I'm I'm just wondering how much of this is really the carbs, or if it's something else is going on here. Because 
to me, I, I need that carbs in me for fuel to get me through the workout. I, I can't imagine lifting without carbs in my system. And I definitely, I don't feel sleepy when I'm eating carbs. So I wonder, have you had experience with some people who just don't handle carbs well and it, they're better off eating their carbs at night so they crash and go to sleep at nighttime than during I, the day? So from a, certainly from a personal point of view, I, I, I tend to have more carbs later in the day. I, I, I won't cut them out completely. I'll still have, you know, I'll have a bit of fruit before I go to the gym in the mornings. Um, I'll have some fruit after I've, after I've been to the gym, uh, I'll have some carbs um, in, in the middle of the day, but I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll try and push them back to later in the in in, in the day. Mainly for the sole reason is is because that's when it's uh, that's when it's most practical. Um, because I, I like to actually be able to sit down and have a decent sized um, a decent sized meal at night. Um, and I, I find if I have too many carbs earlier in the day, then that leaves less room for them later. So I'll, I'll still have some. I'll, I'll I'll have enough to 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 get me through the workouts. But I won't. Um, I suppose if you were to to uh, to to measure my my carb intake, it would it would be a little higher towards the end of the day rather than uh, rather than the start. I think I think a lot of it is down to to personal preference. I think how you distribute your carbs throughout the day is is about where your where your workouts are, how you feel, um, the, type, the type of thing that you're, the type of job that you're doing, um, it all depends on on the individual and where carbs are best placed to go into their uh, their diet. Right, very very true, very true. And it sounds similar to me with what you're doing right now. I um, I do. I mean, my carbs in the morning for breakfast are usually in the form of the veggies. I'll have my omelet with spinach and and pepper, and um, throw some sauce on there as well. And then my next meal is usually Greek yogurt with fruit and some protein powder. Yeah. Um, but I do. I like to. I do save. I'd say the majority of my carbs would be later in the day because I like to have potatoes or rice with my dinner. Exactly. Um, so a good starchy carb with dinner is. Is it? And it's a little bit different too when I'm in a cutting phase compared to muscle building because I, I have more meals spread out throughout the day when I'm in a muscle building phase. So, I'll, um, yeah, I still usually my two first meals are the same: the the Greek yogurt and berries and the eggs for breakfast. But um, if I'm in a muscle building phase, my third meal might be a bowl of oats and berries. So it's going to be higher carb content there, and then my pro, uh, potatoes and rice and other stuff with uh, dinner later on in the day. Yeah, well, I I saw one of your um one of your pictures. I think you had a picture of a blender with all of this fruit and stuff in it, <laughs> and um and I and I saw that I think you had some kale in it. You had some kale in the yeah. blender. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, I thought I, I've never had. I normally I'll mix up some fruit in a blender with some protein powder and, and some water, but I've never tried kale. So I got some kale the other day. I thought, well, I'll have a go. Because I imagined it would taste awful. I thought there's going to be all this green stuff in it. It's going to taste bad, but it was it was really nice. Um, it's it's and it's it's quite an easy and quick way of, of just getting some some green stuff into your into your diet without having to, you know, eat a bunch of salads. Um, that's it. that's it. It's mainly it's for convenience. Yeah, definitely a good way, a convenient way for me to get my veggie intake 
in there. And um, also, it's something good, decent pre-workout as well. Um, the guys at examine.com, they, they put out um, one of their stacks, their pre-workout stack books. That oh, yeah. They talk about uh, nitric oxide and, and like the supplements out there. And basically, there's not enough quantities in, in any of that, uh, any of the supplements to really uh, do the trick and they say like having something like spinach or beets and blending that up there uh, will actually produce a you'll have more of it in your system and it's natural good healthy foods instead of a, a supplement there so having having spinach and kale and like a pre-workout shake uh, it, it gets my micronutrients in there but uh, it may have some sort of um, muscle building benefit uh, as well in terms of the nitric acid nitric oxide well, I have I have you to thank for that, Scott. Kale <laughs> <laughs> is now a a, um, a regular uh, a regular a regular feature in my um, in my shakes and my smoothies. <laughs> it is it's shocking to see you don't really uh, taste. It adds a little bit of texture to it, but uh, yeah, I was surprised the first time I had it. Yeah, so. it, I didn't taste it. it, it I mean, there was a, there was a slight there was a, I could taste it to a to a slight degree, but not um, yeah. not as much as I thought. Right. So well, yeah, it sort of opened up a whole new. Um, uh, I, I might try a few. I was thinking of trying some mint. Have you ever put any mint in your? No, bread? I haven't. No, that'd be great. Get some mint. I'm, I'm going to try get some spinach, and yeah, I'm going to experiment. That's all I've been doing. Just trying different fruits in there, mixing in with it, even some lemon in there, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on to, okay, so Diane, she's, she's asked a few questions here. Uh, is it better to work out first thing in the morning before you've had breakfast because you're burning your existing fat? And if you are eating breakfast first, does that mean that you're simply burning the calories that you ate for breakfast? Uh, let's see, she says, I have no energy to work out with a completely empty stomach, so I eat about half a cup of brown rice first. Okay. Um... Well, I suppose this comes back to the whole sort of fasted, uh, fasted or fed cardio um, debate. I'd, I'd say, um, I say for most people, most of the time, it's not going to make any difference. I think over the over, it's, what matters is fat balance over the course of 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 a day and a week and a month, rather than um, looking at it in isolation during a workout. So. Um, I think I think again it was it was um, Brad Schoenfeld's group uh, published a study where they looked at the the long term effects of fasted cardio on uh, on your ability to lose fat. Most of the other studies that have been done have been relatively short term. You know they've looked at uh, fat metabolism during just you know just a few hours. So some have looked at it for a few days, but none have looked at the the long term effects over a, an extended period of time. Um, and again, they, they didn't find any um, any difference in, in terms of the rate of fat loss. Now, what they also they didn't find was there was no difference in terms of muscle loss either. One of the criticisms of fasted cardio is, oh, you're going to lose uh, you're going to lose muscle, you're going to you're going to waste away. And again, that wasn't um, that wasn't what they found. Um, so I'd say there, there, there may be some. Um, there may be some advantage to fasted cardio. I don't know. I know that a lot of the things that bodybuilders have done for years, oftentimes it takes years for, for the research to actually catch up. And 
and detect an advantage because measuring body composition is incredibly, um, you can't actually measure it. It's, it's more of a prediction or an estimate um, rather than an actual direct measurement. So, you know, if, if fasted cardio did have a small advantage, it's not something that I don't think you'd be able to measure with the, the technology that's currently available. Um, so I would say for most people, most of the time, it's again, it's an issue of personal preference. If you don't have any energy to work out and you need some rice or whatever it is, then then have some rice. Um, what matters most is what you're doing over the day rather than what you're eating before a workout. Exactly. Yep. T totally agree. And that uh, yeah, totally personal preference. There's some people, some clients I have who train really early in the morning and some of them need food. They need to get up and they need to find something that is like quick and easy to digest, get in their system. And other people who try to have breakfast just feel like they're going to vomit during the workout. So, um, and some have plenty of energy when they're working out in the fasted state. So I always find it interesting to hear from the people who, who say that they, they perform better in a fasted state um, in terms of weight training. Um, that's something that I haven't experienced. I find it, I find it interesting and intriguing that, that some people can do really well without fuel in their system. But uh, like I said, personal preference, you gotta know yourself. Now, it, Diane also asks for breakfast, what should she yeah. be aiming to eat? Should she have, uh, go for like uh, high fiber foods to clean her intestines? She's using oatmeal and fruit, oatmeal with fruit as an example, or should she start her day off with protein, like eggs and sausage instead? Personally, I wouldn't have uh, a sausage for breakfast. Um, only, only because I don't. I, I, there's, there's too much fat. I think I would, it would make me feel quite, quite heavy. Um, I prefer something a bit lighter in the mornings, and then I, I ramp up the, the calories towards the end of the day. Um, again, I would say that it's 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 purely down to personal preference. I think it, it, what matters more is is what you eat for the course of of the entire day and and, and the week, rather than just one isolated meal. Um, I think there's there's potentially advantages to, to a protein-rich breakfast in the sense that it, it, it can stave off hunger for the rest of the, uh, for the, rest of the morning. Um, sometimes if, you eat, if, you, if you're eating one of these carbohydrate-rich breakfasts, a bowl of cereal or, or some bread, um, and some toast and down orange juice, then you can end up you know, an hour later you're hungry again. Whereas if, you, if you're having some protein, it can help to fill you up. So there's, there's, there's an advantage there to, to a protein-rich breakfast. Um, but again, it's 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 down to, to personal preference. I mean, my wife will eat. Um, she'll often have just a bowl of cereal for breakfast, and and I don't know how she does it, but she 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 doesn't get hungry until until the middle of the afternoon. I don't I don't know how she manages because if I have you know if I have cereal for in the morning, it doesn't fill me up at all. I want to eat more about an hour later. Mm -hmm. I agree. Just, yeah, and I think that comes down to personal how your body responds to food as well. Um, my wife's the same way. No, it seems to be no matter what she eats, she could have a bowl of oatmeal and fruit, and she's hungry an hour later. Or she could have eggs, and she's hungry an hour later. Whereas I, <laughs> I usually I have my breakfast, and then it can usually keep me at bay for for a little while. I've done both. I've gone through a long period of time where oatmeal and fruit was my main breakfast. Uh, but for the past two years, I'd say eggs and veggies has been my breakfast. So um, there's a lot of fiber in the spinach and the veggies that I'm consuming there. And I'm also getting the, the protein with the eggs. But yeah, again, it's 
You said personal preference, knowing how your body responds to the different foods. Yeah, I think I think eggs for breakfast, eggs certainly eggs and vegetables is is a good choice because, like you say, you've got the fiber to fill you up. You've got the fat, um, you've got the fat and the protein in the eggs, which is also um, which is also useful. So, yeah, certainly, um, I, I don't think you can go too far wrong with with eggs and vegetables. One last question from Diane was: Is it better to have a protein drink to build muscle or tone muscle, uh, or is eating protein like chicken and beef uh, will that work just as well? Um, I think as long as you're getting in enough high quality protein, I don't think it'll make a huge difference uh, where that protein comes from. I think a protein uh, supplement or a protein drink it, it offers benefits in terms of convenience. Yeah. Um, and if you're if you're if you're not getting a lot of high quality protein from your diet, then um, then a high quality protein drink is a is a good choice. But I don't think you're going to see a huge difference if you if you're on a, a diet where where you've got chicken and beef and other sources of high quality protein versus a, a where you're having whey protein, for example. I don't I don't, I think it's it's mainly it's convenience and. Uh, it makes it easier to hit your protein targets for the day because sometimes you know if you if you're eating a lot of protein it can be difficult to, to hit those targets if you're eating a lot of whole food um, so yeah to answer a question I think the, uh, the the protein from the chicken and the beef will work just as well yeah I agree definitely a convenience and definitely helps for hitting those targets it can be tough to to hit a protein um, intake target with just whole foods um, especially if you're a smaller person and um, man, I, I've struggled. So it, it's been a convenience and it, I, and flavor as well. I like adding it to the Greek yogurt or to my oats and, and cooking with it, making protein pancakes or protein crepes. And um, I think it can, it can add some variety and, and taste to our meals. Definitely. One last question here comes from Mary Ellen and she is a 50 year old female She's in the process of burning fat and wants to lose as little muscle as possible while dieting down. Uh, and her question is, on days when she's pressed for time, is it better off for her to do cardio or should she be forgetting about that run and just going to the gym and hitting some iron instead? Um, well, if it, a lot of it is, 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 again, based on what it is that she enjoys doing i mean if she hates lifting weights and she enjoys going for a run then probably going for a run in the long term is going to deliver the best results because if if, if that's the only thing that she's going to stick to then I, I i would always encourage someone to to do what they're most likely to do over time if, if somebody said to me that uh, that running was was the best way to get in shape or the only way to get in shape then I mean, I hate running. I, I can't stand running. My knees hurt. My ankles hurt. I, you know, I can go on. I can put me on a bike and I'll go for hours. But running, swimming, I can't stand any of it. Um, but if, if, if she enjoyed lifting weights and running equally, I would always say uh, lift weights. I think that that to me, is, is building muscle and being strong is, is the foundation uh, to everything, I think it, we, it's 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 been messed up um, in the sense that cardio is kind of seen still in in some some quarters as the way to lose fat. 
Um, you know, when you go into a gym, there's still so many cardio machines, and still the prevailing mindset is if you want to lose fat, go and do cardio. Um, I think you can still get a great fat loss effect from, from lifting weights. Um, you know, if you're doing the big compound lifts, if you're taking short rest periods between your sets and you're pushing yourself hard, um, you, you, can, you can get a great workout and burn a lot of calories. You burn a lot of calories after the workout is done. But plus, you're also getting strong. You're also building muscle. Um, you're strengthening your bones. Um, I, I would certainly always recommend lifting weights over over pretty much anything else, um, given given the, the, the time limit, given time limitations. I say, I think lifting weights, building muscle, and getting strong should be the foundation to any um, any exercise program. Right. Well, well said. I think a solid answer, especially beginning with the doing what you enjoy. I feel the same way. I mean, if, if someone told me yoga and Pilates was the best way or even kettlebells and stuff, the other activities that I just don't get the same kind of enjoyment out of. Uh, compliance is definitely the key and, and enjoying this process is what's going to lead to the long-term results. Um, yeah, I think there was a study published, it was either earlier this year or at the end of the last year, that did it compared weight training with cardio and the weight training group um, finished ahead in terms of fat loss. Um, so I found that that pretty interesting. I don't think it was anything incredibly significant. And of course, they advised that the best thing to do is find some sort of combination of the two. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I definitely... Um, yeah, the, the benefits of the strength training go well beyond just the caloric burn, the, the body shaping, the, the, the strength. I think strength is our greatest asset in life, and especially at 50 here when she's definitely bone density would be an important thing. Um, but I just I look at uh, a gentleman who I train, 95 years old, and strength is without a doubt his greatest asset. Not so much his, his heart health and conditioning from cardio, but strength being able to get up and down out of out of chairs or if he stumbles in the parking lot being able to catch himself and not breaking a hip like I, I, strength is definitely um, your greatest asset as especially as we get on in age yeah I, I agree completely outstanding man well this has been an absolute blast I really appreciate you coming on here it's great to finally get the chance to to chat with you after following your work for so many years. Uh, and I highly recommend the people listening to this podcast to check out your website, muscleevo.net. That's M-U-S-C-L-E-E-V-O.net. Um, tons of information on there. Great program, Muscle Evo. And um, just follow your stuff. You're definitely one of the go-to, trusted, genuine guys in the business. Uh, and I appreciate all the work, hard work that you put out there. Digging into that that research and breaking it down for us into to layman practical terms, practical application. Uh, it's an incredible service that uh, has definitely benefited me over the years. So thanks once again, Christian. I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you very much. You're, uh, you're very kind. And, um, you know, I really appreciate you, um, you asking me to come on. It's, um, I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Absolutely. And thanks again, Brian. Again, as always, and we'll be uh, we'll probably be cranking on another podcast later this week. We're we're thinking of doing some some quicker, shorter podcasts more frequently throughout the week because we just got so much 
bro knowledge in our brains here that uh, we can't wait to dish out. <laughs> we can't hold off to just once a week. Knowledge in quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Have yourself a great yeah. day.